Hello and welcome to the Omni Gamers Club podcast. This is Mark Uesa. And this is Daniel Winter. How are you, Mark? I got COVID. Uh, it happened. Yeah, I'm fully out of the isolation period, but still feel like it's kicking my butt. <laughs> Sorry to hear that. We, uh, we've managed to escape that so far, but we did have a bit of a another winter sniffle and uh, feeling the effects of my booster that I just got yesterday. So, uh, I mean, I'm not, not going to pretend I've got it as bad as you, but uh, I, I can sympathize a little bit. <laughs> it just came, like, I think January 2nd is when it started, and uh, I was pretty strongly affected for a week or so there, but just, like, the lingering effects have stuck around, and uh, it's very real. So, you know, I caution anyone out there who's to really treat this like the real thing. <laughs> Get vaccinated, y'all. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, so that's, that's partly why we're a little late coming back in from 2022, uh, but uh, we're now coming in strong for the for the rest of the year, hopefully. That's the plan. Thinking positive. <laughs> well, I hope that uh, time off let you catch up on some games over the holidays. In fact, why don't we talk about some of those games we played? Let's do it. What have, what have you been playing? I've been playing a lot of some older titles. I picked up a copy of Alan Wake at the library, and uh, I knew I had to jump on that because it was the remastered version. I had never played it, never played it all the way through back in the day. So I thought I'd jump on that opportunity, and it was actually right in the thick of COVID. It's the perfect game for a fever dream. (laughs) Exactly. I had no excuse. I was just holding myself up in the basement popped in Alan Wake. I don't know. I think I played the first two chapters just straight. (laughs) I don't know if we should talk about it in full depth, maybe even make an episode of it, but I did finish it. Yeah, it was a a fairly linear narrative experience. Maybe not up to chops with uh, Control. I think I enjoyed Control quite a bit more, but uh, I think it was worth playing for just, you know, the history of it as a Remedy game. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's 10, 10 years old this year, I think. And I, I have distinct memories of playing it day one. Because it actually came out the same day as the first Red Dead Redemption. And I was one of the few that chose Alan Wake. Uh, played it day one uh, and loved it back in the day. Uh, and this might be my first time revisiting it. I actually, I got the same, I'm pretty sure it must be the same copy from the library as, as you had. Uh, so I've been playing through that and, and just finished it last night, actually. So, I mean, I've still got to play through the, the two special episodes but i finished the main game it's it's interesting i'm sure there's some some great discussions there and how well it's dated i think it's still an enjoyable experience on all though but we'll probably might save that in our pocket for uh, a more in-depth discussion later do you want to talk about any other games you've been playing yeah, well, I, th- I think I might have discussed last episode that I was playing the new guardians of the galaxy game and i finished that over the holidays and 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 loved it uh, i think the combat is anything to write home about it's, it's fairly g- generic action combat um but the, it, the game was definitely worth it for just for the writing and the story i thought we, we were really strong in some cases even better than the movie i thought it, it plays quite a lot like a like a telltale game in many regards uh, ironically since there actually was a a telltale guardians of the galaxy game that i never played but this feels like a more fleshed out version of that perhaps a little long uh but i i, I really dug it from beginning to end so i i really enjoyed that uh and i also of the holidays picked up a non a non-game pass game uh blasphemous it's i think this was a couple of years old 2020 i think it's basically basically another one of those uh 2d dark souls likes though i was surprised to find it was a lot more uh metroidvania in the in the way it's paced and, and late and the way the map is laid out the way are uh, you you're unlocking powers to to be able to revisit areas and and reach in for previously inaccessible spots and so a lot of doubling back and and exploring uh and it, it's it's very much it's in, in theme it's a mix of something like the body horror of dark souls mixed with the spanish inquisition i think it's actually a spanish uh developer and a lot of religious imagery without it being explicitly about religion uh a lot of a lot of weird body horror with under the guise of of religious imagery so it's some really pretty wild imagery in there and i think it was at times a bit deliberately opaque in terms of what you're doing and what is going on in the story but it was a very stunning game like lovely pixel 
animation um, and backgrounds and everything and uh, nice visceral combat, the way you bounce around and, and dodge and everything was, was, was quite was quite fun. So I, I enjoyed that one. Well, with a name like Blasphemous, I guess you could expect to see some religious Im- imagery in there. Yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> and uh, I do enjoy a good Metroidvania. I'll mention briefly the other game I'm playing, which I think you might also be, is uh, Final Fantasy XII. Yes, I've been picking it up for a while now, though. It's been on the back burner over the holidays. I really need to get back to that in case it, it, it falls off, uh, falls off of Game Pass. Yeah, that's right. I'm, I have fear of losing games on uh, Game Pass. I played it a couple dozen hours back in the day when it first came out on PS2 even, but never beat it. I finally gave it a, maybe this is my third or fourth try at it. Just having it on the background and catching up on some old shows on Plex um, (laughs) with the headphones on has been fantastic. And that game is so brilliant, uh, sort of ahead of its time for the amount of automation that you can program. And that edition zodiac age or something the remastered yeah it features a fast forward button which is a a nice feature that some mobile games allow but having it on console means i can just grind to my heart's content (laughs) yeah grinding is quite fun in this game the way it's set up it is like you see your guys zipping around like um hilarious cartoon characters with their sped up uh, abilities and you just feel good when you know you've programmed your team to just fire on all cylinders and it's all real time too so you don't have none of the tedium of popping in and out of the turn-based battles when you're grinding in some of those older games so which i, I really appreciated a lot of um quality of life in in this one absolutely so even though it's uh, older than something like alan wake it still feels like something quite playable so it's it's story though is is really obtuse so <laughs> that's something i can i'm mostly tuning out but I'm enjoying it. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to, get, to wrapping that up. Speaking of wrapping it up, do you want to move on to the main games? Let's do it. Yeah. I teased at the fact that we might cover more than one game, so we might have a little bonus segment at the end. But the main game we're going to be discussing today is called Seven Wonders Duel from 2015. The designers include Antoine Bauza and Bruno Catala. And the artist was Miguel Coimbra and published by Repost Productions. And of course, yeah, this is it's hard to discuss this game without also discussing its predecessor, uh, the, the original Seven Wonders. And there's a new version in that board game cinematic universe, I guess you'd call it, um, uh, Seven Wonders Architects, the studio this came out uh, only a couple of months ago, but we're, we're going to be focusing here on the two-player version Seven Wonders Duel. Right. And it's funny you mentioned Cinematic Universe because each of those standalone game series have their own editions, have their own uh, long series of expansions. Oh, I've lost track of how many expansions up. there are for the original Seven Wonders. It's... The Tower of Babylon and ships and yeah, I think it's at least four, and <laughs> I believe even Duel has one like for each two? of the Seven Wonders. <laughs> I, I wouldn't doubt it. So uh, yeah, this is a blockbuster uh, series. I don't think we need to discuss the original Seven Wonders, other than the fact that it's a pretty notable older game known for its simultaneous gameplay, and it's maybe one of the first games certainly before Sushi Go or whatever, that made a game out of the game of drafting. Mm, it really popularized that that mechanic. Right. Popularized it more than Magic the Gathering, obviously, which invented drafting, non-sports, say, related drafting, <laughs> as an activity um, and made it its own thing. Like, that's so the that, whole game. It was more of a metagame, I guess, in Magic. And there are, there, are, there are plenty of board games that have a drafting variant, but this is one of the first few games that really made that part of the the main focus of the game. Seven Wonders Duel does a great job of really carrying forward that lineage. It shares a lot of similarities, like the fact that it is a, it is a drafting game. It's not simultaneous, of course, but a lot of the qualities carry forward. There's a degree of set collection. Uh, what it does introduce is a cool tug-of-war aspect that the original Seven Wonders doesn't have because, of course, it's only ever going to be a two-player game. 
Yeah, the I mean, there's, there's a, a, quite a few different ways in which you're interacting in this game. There's there's, a, there's obviously very direct tug of war. There's indirect conflicts. You're interacting with your, with your opponent on multiple fronts here. I guess we should give a, a brief explanation of how this works. Is that as with the original game, it takes place over three ages, and each age has a distinct set of cards that you're collecting within that age, and then they'll carry forward to the next age. The cards are all splayed out in front of the both of you in a in a, a cascade of, of cards, or slightly overlapping. To get to the the cards at the top of the the pyramid, you can only do that when the all the cards below it have been taken, and but only some of those are revealed at the start of the game. About half a face up, about half a face down. So there's a big a big degree of uncertainty as you're working your way up this pyramid. It looks quite complex to set up. The original Seven Wonders did also take a bit of setup in having to pull out certain cards and having to count certain cards, and that was Based always how a, many players there are and pull out all the the five plus players. Yeah, that was that was right. tedious. <laughs> so this one is tedious in in the physical sense that you have to literally create these structures before you could even start playing for each round. You have a physical copy of this, right? Yes, I, I do have a physical copy that I've only played a couple of times, and it's an official solo mode but it requires some like print and play elements so i tried that and played a couple of games with friends and i'm not going to say that any game is better online i think most games are better in person with the actual interaction of a of a friend in person but this game is a little as i said it is a little fiddling in person partly because the cards are quite flimsy uh, and that because you're over the cards are sort of lining over on top of each other, it's easier to sort of bump them and and not have them lined up the way they're supposed to. If you if you you're trying to grab grab one card while it's over sort of partly over another card, it's easier to bump the, the, the whole setup. <laughs> exactly. If someone sneezes, your elbow could take out the whole arrangement. Right? So <laughs> it would be frustrating to see. So for myself, I can't say I've experienced the setup at all. I've only ever played it on Board Game Arena, which has a pretty, uh, I would say, effective edition of it. But of course, it does things that ease the gameplay. It certainly eases the setup. It makes those card arrangements for you. And it does a lot of real-time calculation, which the physical game doesn't have. Yeah, it really takes out a lot of the math work. And in doing that actually adds a new layer there 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 are some calculations that would have just been too tedious in the physical game but because in board game arena surfaces all the information for both players uh it really adds a, a new layer you can be thinking uh, um taking into account a lot more factors but i mean i, I guess we should explain a little more detail in that basically the, these cards that you're drafting some of the, like in the first age at least, a lot of them are just going to be resources. You're, they're a permanent. They're added, you take a, a, a card that's wood and you, you now have access to one wood for the rest of the game. You don't spend these resources. But some in, in later ages will require those resources, but some might require multiples of a particular one. And that aspect is almost identical to Seven Wonders. The originals is, is gaining the resources. I think it streamlines a couple of them. It takes like one of the advanced resources away, I believe. Yeah, so there's like, I think there's four basic resources and two luxury advanced resources. The, the trick being here, you, you have those resources that you then spend to get the more powerful cards in later ages, but you can spend money to make up for a resource that you don't have. So one of the other big focus here is is you have gold you can discard cards from the tableau to gain gold if some a lot of yellow cards will, will increase the amount of gold that you get for those actions when you discard cards so that that's a secondary element here is the engine building of, of having gold as a backup for the to make up for the resources that you don't have i thought that was a very cool distinction uh, that separates it from the original seven wonders that is one thing we forgot to mention is at the very beginning of the game, before any of the ages, there is a unique setup round or two specifically <laughs> to to draft the, the Wonders. Because unlike Seven Wonders Original, where everyone is designated their own Wonder board, there are two sort of zipper drafts. You're shown an arrangement of four Wonder cards. It would be player A, player B takes the next two, and then player ta- A takes the last and then in the next zipper draft, player B takes the first, 
player A takes the second two, player A, um, B takes the last. So in that sense, you draft yourselves four wonder cards each, and those should be familiar in concept from the original Seven Wonders. Yeah, so that, I mean, there's no stages in this. It's just you have four wonders. They all take one action to build them, but they're all going to require quite a, f- a lot of resources. Like there, there might be usually between four and five different resources. They're quite expensive to to you. You won't be able to afford them from, from the outset. I suppose they are distinct from the wonder stages because you don't have to play them in order. You can play them in any order that you wish, but it is quite costly to build them all, isn't it? Yeah, and, and they'll give you a variety of things. They might just give you uh, like a, a wild resource or money. I, I like the one that just gives you a whole bunch of money. <laughs> uh, but yeah. the, the, the real wild card here is that some of them, about half, between a third and a half of them, have uh, basically what gives you an extra turn. Right, and that uh, is so important in this game. It's being a big a, meta strategy, yeah. Exactly. Being all about turn order and sequence order in this game I think those extra turns are sort of, I wouldn't say game-breaking, but they are you know, drastically effective uh, if you have a certain combo in mind. Yeah, because depending on how those wonders come out, you might only have one or two of them. So when you do that, you want to make sure it's a super, at a super key moment. You can, I mean, you, you, I've, I've seen games end with, with that by getting the right combo if you're getting two cards simultaneously basically you can you can really turn the game around and if you manage to have two of those wonder cards that let you play uh successive turns then you can string three turns in a row which is just (laughs) so powerful it's the way you can build up a combo to quickly do a military victory or quickly build up those signs uh, symbols we should clarify when, when you're building those wonders you're taking a card from the tableau and and putting it under that wonder you don't get that card but you take that turn is in is activating the wonder and then, then you might and then if you have an extra turn you can take a, a different card and either you have to build a second wonder or put that into your tableau and so yeah. when this game is, is so key with with trying to prevent what cards your opponent can get something that was that was previously inaccessible in a, in a in a in a second layer of the pyramid you can fast track your way straight into that card perhaps right this game utilizes a concept called sente which um i'm not sure if you know from the game of go the, I like the i'm not familiar with that with that phrase yeah well it's a, it's a very fair subtle point sente is a concept where you have to have a very deep-seated sense of sequencing so when you're playing the game because it's i take a turn you take a turn and that never changes you know that there are specific sequences of actions that the opponent cannot execute because you will always be able to counter it before they can do it Hmm. so in this game sente is is the default state of affairs but when you gain those extra turns you circumvent that which means you're breaking the flow. And if you do that effectively, then basically you can get the game rhythm under your control. You, you take over huh. the driver's seat in driving those specific combos. So I thought that was an interesting state of affairs. Um, in, in, in Go, it's, it's not something you can overcome. It's just something to be aware of. Uh, but in this game, I think it's both. There's, there's a real feeling of tempo in this game. Those moments that break the tempo are, are rare enough that they're they're real highlights. Like when that happens, it, it's, it's they're, they're particularly noted, like the, the big standout moments of the game. Basically, that the, the, the tempo is suddenly broken. <laughs> I think that it would be really dry if there wasn't a way to break that mm. turn order sequencing in this game, because both players know that there are scenarios that are going to be out of their reach player a is going to do this player thus player b is going to do that player a is going to do this or player b is going to do that and then you kind of have these branching trees right it's almost literally a case of branching which cards you might be able to draft and you can essentially plan out your next turn or two because you could roughly guess what the other player is going for and then really it's just a matter on your turn of choosing from the one two or three options that are going to be most effective to you or least costly to you uh, and then it's a sort of um it's essentially a calculation yeah i mean at any given time you might only have the option of two or three cards uh which which is feels 
like a, f- a fairly low range of options, but each one of those options has so many factors between what priorities you're trying to do, what you're trying to, what, what you what you think your opponent is trying to go for. There's so many factors to take into consideration in each in each of those choices that to really balance. Right. And if you play your cards right, or more likely you fail to pay attention, your opponent can sort of back you into a corner, maybe even leaving you with only one choice of card to take, which is brutal, right? (laughs) (laughs) If you're not expecting it. And I'm not saying that that's a bad thing, because it's just something to be be aware of. Both players, because this is a two-player game, it's, it's essentially zero sum. And there's no way around that. Yeah, I mean, I was I was listening to a discussion earlier in in how the the original Seven Wonders. It's quite easy to just zero in on your own board, not really care about what you're doing. I mean, there are some some elements that will rely on your what your neighbors are doing. Like there's some some military that will give you some points based on your neighbors, but largely you're just zeroed in on your on yourself. You don't have to be worried about what everyone else is doing. Whereas this is a game where you, I mean. For, as, as with most two-player games, you really have to be focused on on, on what you're doing. You can't get complacent. Uh, every, everything your, your opponent does is 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 key, and and, and it's you all have the same information. Like is, there is no what well, there there, are, there is certainly hidden information from the face down cards, but you both players have the exact same information. There's no card. Like, you, you, don't, you don't have a hand of cards that you're hiding from each other. Although, because half of the cards are face down, due to luck, you may reveal a card for your opponent to take advantage of that is a greater advantage to them than it would be to you. If that happens in a couple times in a row, you can't help but feel really bad that the game is sort of not going your way. Yeah, there's, there is, I mean, there's, there's absolutely a degree of luck to, su- to some extent. I mean, I know as a, someone was discussing one of the expansions, if there's a very specific way that cards can be laid out that you it's possible to win turn one just based on luck. And that's not quite as, as, as bad in, in the base game at least. But the, the, where it does feel bad is you, you're, you're revealing cards it feels like you, you because you're revealing a card for the other player. So you, you pick a card, you've revealed a face down card that is then turned over, and your opponent has the first choice to take it. So it really feels like you're giving your opponent the game out of like you're taking an action to give them the game, which like you're king making your opponent, which has kind of which, which can feel bad. Uh, or, or sometimes you just you literally have two options of the, the same card, uh, and you have no like you you see no escape from what you have to do to give your opponent the game. Uh, and that, that can feel bad, but it's not super common when you get back into the corner like that. <laughs> so maybe I should just come out and say how I feel about this game. When you approach a game, there's always going to be some sort of ephemeral thing of whether it captures you or not. You know, I really respect the design of this game. I think it's a super effective translation of this uh, multiplayer game into a two-player arena. I I can't really think of another way they could have made a two-player Seven Wonders game uh, other than having a dummy hand like they did with the original. But this game feels very lockstep because player takes this action, it's going to go this way or that. Uh, Player B takes his action, it's going to go this way or that. It feels quite plodding. It doesn't have a very strong sense of rhythm or variation in rhythm. And the bulk of the games I played until just recently were uh, asynchronous. And in that format, the game did not capture me whatsoever. In fact, I kind of dreaded playing through this game uh, a lot of the time because I, I suppose I felt like it was very deterministic in that there was a lot of luck driven in what the revealed cards were, and that this game didn't have a lot of fluidity to it. It really didn't capture me for the bulk of it. I won't say I I hated every game I played, but I don't think BGA is a great format for it unless maybe you're playing with someone you you know really well. Yeah, well, see, I I mean, I'm I'm largely playing with people I know. I know you you tend to play with a lot more 
random. So I, I'm, I generally play with, I, I play quite a lot of this async on, on BGA, but largely with people I know. So that may be <laughs> into my, a factor in, in my um, enjoyment. And it is to say, I, I do actually enjoy this game quite a lot. So I can, though I can see some of the, the issues you have with it. There are certainly parts of it that can feel quite inevitable especially the third age. I think the third age is actually one of the weaker points where it's largely based on like what you've done up to that point is controlling your options. Uh, whether you have the resources that you need, do you have the money that you need? Well, if you don't, you have, you don't have a choice. <laughs> uh, do you, the, the, the guilds are all basically, okay, here's some points for every red card you have. So there's it, no real interesting decisions. It's like, Basically, get here's some a random reward for what you've done so far. So I think the third age really loses a lot of those interesting decisions up to that point of the game, and can, and definitely can feel quite inevitable. You can see several rounds in advance. Well, I'm going to take this card, and they're going to take this card. I'm going to take this card, and like the game's just on autopilot sometimes. So, so I, I can see that to some degree. I'm not saying that this is a bad game. I'm just saying it's maybe not a game for me. I did enjoy the real-time games that you and I played a lot more. So that's that's saying something. It it had at least some sense of building tension and it wasn't drastic, but I definitely could see playing this on a rainy afternoon with a cup of tea with your, you know, friend or partner sitting across the table from each other and, you know, just like giving them the raised fist <laughs> in frustration when they play a smart move, you know, like that that I could see happening in some sort of reality. If you can get over the frustration of setting up each structure uh, for each age. Me personally, I don't think I would enjoy that with my uh, partner or friend. I think I'd rather get a, a game like Magic the Gathering or something where I just we just bust out our own decks. Or a game like, like Lost Cities 2-player or something where the structure is known, but there's still a lot of dynamism. Because in that sense, you're playing the players, you're not playing the game. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't play a lot of two-player games, so maybe I don't have a great uh, point of reference for to some of the other two-player games that have perhaps done this better. But for what it's worth, I, I, I did really enjoy this. Uh, I, I, at least in the first couple of ages, I really enjoyed the layers of strategy uh, as... as uh, each game, I was sort of discovering new ways to sort of counter... Your opponent, whether it's like you can bl- block them from resources. Like one thing we didn't mention is that if you have a resource and your opponent doesn't, that increases the cost of what they have to pay in gold. If you have two resources, they so if you have two of the resources that they don't have, then they have to pay even more. So you can there's a real element of hate drafting there. You can lock them off from resources entirely. You, you want to have the widest op- variety of options as possible while forcing them into the few variety of options, which might not feel great when you're on the other end of that, I guess. But there there is yeah. a, there is a fun puzzle there in, in in weighing up those options. What do I want out of these cards versus what do I want to prevent my opponent from getting? And I guess that's the reason why you enjoyed it is the reason why I didn't enjoy it is that in a, in a game with, with a lot of chance or at least elements that are out of your control, it is quite possible that just through the naturally unfurling state of affairs, you know, that I wasn't exposed to many resources of the, you know, initial seven or eight cards I could have drafted. So you basically fall into a pattern of either science or military or, uh, or or having a lot of resource cards. And you sort of fall into that strategy and then you get a narrower and narrower path that you can pursue as the ages of the game go forward. You still have the opportunity of being denied certain cards just by play order. So that just led to more and more frustration on my part. Maybe I'm just whinging <laughs> and complaining, <laughs> but... I just didn't find that aspect of the game very enjoyable. I've certainly had games that have felt bad when you're on your own, the losing end. I've, I've actually, not, not, not to humble brag, but I've had a pretty good win streak with this game, uh, and at least until I started uh, entering some uh, tournaments on Board Game Arena, which, which, which humbled me quite a bit. But, I mean, I guess what we should discuss is uh, the alternate win conditions. I mean, a lot of, a lot of, most of the cards in this game are going to be giving you straight points uh for the, the 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 default civilian victories as comparing who has the most points but there are two other ways you can win this game there's the 
military, which so there are red cards that will basically move you along. It's a, it's a, a tug of war track, basically a, to- a token sitting along a track and you're pushing and pulling it towards each other. And if it gets all the way to your end, then you win instantly. In theory, it could be as early as the first age that you, you win, which adds a really interesting tension to the game. And then again, and again and that's another way of keeping you engaged with what your opponent is doing. You can't let them have control of all the red cards. Even if you don't want military, you're going to have to go out of your way to counter them. And that's another way, I guess, you can control the board. Even if you don't intend to win with military, you can use it as a threat to sort of force your opponent's hand, which I, I found a, a fun strategy. <laughs> At least it's very thematic, right? In this game, which is quite lovely to look at, I, I didn't feel it was very thematic at all. I, I didn't feel like a specific civilization or a, a ruler during the great ages of history. But that literal tug of war of the military does make sense. It's like you you can let the opponent beat on you, but you can't let them beat on you that much. Do you score points for how much uh, closer you are to the victory side? Or at the is end of the just game, the yeah. The game? Like if, if you're just right. shy of, of a military victory, that's 10 points at the end of the game. And I've, I've lost games forgetting about that. Uh, so it's nothing, nothing to sneeze at. And, but right. yeah, it's, it's totally one of the more thematic elements and what is otherwise a pretty gem- generic amalgam of, of, of just vague ancient civilizations <laughs> so carrying on with the victory conditions i think science is another way that you can sort of instantly mm-hmm. lock up a win right it's is it the number of unique icons so there are seven science icons and if you collect six of the seven symbols you win instantly Right. I thought that was a cool aspect of the game. I thought it was actually a little bit better designed than the exponential point scoring route of the original Seven Wonders game, which, you know, I, I understand, but it always frustrates new players. That was, already, like. it was all, all or nothing with science. Whenever I went to, sci- right. went to Science Victory in original Seven Wonders, I like if you're the only person doing that, it's an instant win. And if you if there's two or three people doing it, well, then you all cannibalize each other and don't win. So it's it's yeah, it was it was, it was tough that one the way it, and it was quite uh, fiddly the way the scoring worked. Right. Yeah, I feel like science and military are the two ways of having a sort of zero sum effect uh, that you 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 just have to play a bit to counter the other person, and that's very much the case in the dual version as well. It is a very different uh, type of race, though, compared to the the military victory. Because I mean, there are there are two of each symbol in the game, so you can, in theory, both be working towards that at the same time. It's not a zero sum game in that you the the token is moving back and forth, but you could both be making progress towards it simultaneously. The one thing I, I enjoyed about science in this version in Duel is that you could potentially earn yourself those bonus tokens, those bonus yes. sort of discovery tokens. By um, what is it? Having two of the same symbol, or was yes, it if you manage to get two, two, of the, two of the same symbol, because there's two of each, and if you manage to get both, then you have a choice of one of these favors, which are basically permanent buffs, like or upgrades that that will add, like give you a a discount on certain cards in the game, or might like one of the military symbols. Sorry, sorry, one of the science symbols is on those favor tokens. It's like a little uh, a wild a wild science, yeah, uh, and they they. they another way of sort of building your engine in a way. I thought those science bonuses were another nice way that they introduced some more fluidity in the gameplay, because suddenly if you find yourself with a a discount towards building wonder cards or a discount towards playing blue cards, then a strategy that you thought was out of your reach suddenly becomes way more achievable. And then you can sort of have a turnaround victory or a comeback uh, I really appreciated that aspect of um, Duel. Well, there's five available each game, but I think there's like 10 total. So it, it, it's, it's random which ones are going to be in the game, which can ch- change the calculations game to game about the particular about the value of, of particular cards, depending on what's which, which favor tokens are available, uh, just to keep things a little more dynamic game to game. And then otherwise, I think the other... Um, strategies of blue civic cards for points 
yellow cards for money. Um, you mentioned the addition of being able to discard for additional money uh, by having more yellow cards was very cool, but otherwise pretty straightforward. And then the resource game pretty much feels like just original Seven Wonders, except with um, the removal of one of the advanced resources. I think that covers our general thoughts in the game. Uh, there, uh, so there are a couple of expansions for this. I don't know. We probably don't want to go into too much detail on those. Yeah, I just played the one time with you. I, I even forget which one is called. Is it? Um, there's two, right? Agora is one. Pantheon was the first one that came out. Okay. 2016 i think like soon after the release and agora came out 2020 so it's quite a long gap between those two but it's agora is the the more recent one yeah remind me again what um pantheon introduced in the first age tokens are laid down on certain of the face down cards and when you reveal that card you, you gain this token that lets you choose a god. There, there, are, there are five archetypes of these gods that, that fit into the, the general strategies like the science, military, your wonders. When you take one of these tokens, you draw a card from the corresponding god and, and add that to this sort of secondary tableau. So in the, from the second age on, these you can pay to activate these gods for further power-ups. The trick being that that is another way of changing the tempo of the game because buying these gods is in lieu of taking a card from the tableau. So if you really don't want a card uh, or you're really trying to prevent your opponent from getting a card, you can pay for one of these gods to sort of, again, change the tempo and the, and the, and the flow um, to, to, to force your opponent's hand, assuming you can afford it, of course. So money is there's another way of spending money. But there's also further ways of gaining money at the same time. So it, 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 it keeps things a little more dynamic. I, I also like that those tokens you get, because typically when you're revealing a face-down card is, is bad because you're giving your, your opponent a potential card that they want. But now you might get a token at the same time. So you're giving your opponent a, a free card, but you're getting a token to, for, to, to seed the ball with his gods and control the board state in the next round. So there's a little more push-pull there um, to, to change the calculations a little bit. I played it, Pantheon, that one time with you. I thought it was a little overwhelming, the additional choices that you had, particularly with the with the gods. That part of it was a little uh, opaque for me. But I, I did think that little icons on that you the tokens that you placed on the cards that you flip up added a little bit more reason to choose which card to reveal, which um, otherwise just felt painful <laughs> in the original <laughs> iteration, F- feel a little bit nicer, it softened the blow perhaps. So that aspect of it I enjoyed. But overall, I felt like that expansion just dragged out some of the choices, which overall I think you can tell I didn't enjoy that much from Duel. <laughs> Yeah, I only played that one a couple of times myself, so it's, it's hard to, to get a, a great feel for the balance on that. But uh, I, I think it, it it does needlessly convolute the the sort of essence of the, of the original game. But it, it, it's it's fun, but it it's definitely its own thing. It it's changes the the pacing of the game quite a bit. So it's not something I'd, I'd always want to play with. Uh, but if you thought that was needlessly complicated, uh, you probably don't want to try <laughs> Agora, which takes it to a whole new level, adds a whole new board with an area control element. There are new cards added to the central tableau. So the, the tableau is just larger now, uh, which are basically senators. And if you take one of these senator cards, you can add some cubes to the, the senator board. There's like six uh, rooms of, of the senate and... You putting a cube in one of these rooms gives you a bonus, which might be gaining money for certain cards or discounts or a whole range of things. But if you have a if you control all six of those rooms, it's, that's another way an instant win. So adding a whole new victory condition, but at the same time, also additional ways of building your engine and gaining money but it's also just a, a lot more to take into account uh it's it's really hard to keep track of your options at any given time at, at, at that point <laughs> yeah that sounds like a literal nightmare to me a lot more luck uh, added to the game too because some of the the, the bonuses are face down so you, you you gain control of the center you don't know what bonus you're going to get and it might 
be the perfect one for you or it might be might be useless so uh, and i can never help myself i'm a sucker for a random surprise you could grab a face down bonus from the, in the senate and i, I always can't help myself regardless of whether it's my interest or not i have to take that card that, that that bonus well it sounds like it'll be fun for for people that enjoy the, the base experience that's great I, I had a few people comment online and like basically half seem to say Pantheon is great, but Agora is terrible. And the others say the opposite. So it's, it's really a, a choose your flavor <laughs> type of thing. They, they do add change the game quite a bit that they, they're, uh, they're not something you're going to always be playing with. So you can, it's, it's nice to have that option at least put it that way. I think, so I think this, these dip, perhaps go a little a step too far in changing the base game, but I, I, you know, I haven't, I haven't played. I've only played each of those expansions a couple of times, so I, I don't have super strong feelings on them just yet. So why don't we wrap up as a bit of a final conclusion? I know you had some thoughts on the new game, the Seven Wonders Architects, that just came out a couple of months ago. Yeah, let, let's talk about that for a couple of minutes. Yeah, we, we played a game on on Board Game Arena. I've, I've played it two or three times now on board game arena. So we, we, we played that. What, what did you think? That game is deceptively different from the original <laughs> seven wonders and duel. Certainly it has a lot of similarities to the original game for the fact that it's a, of course a drafting game. It's a set collection game. Unlike the original, the drafting is not simultaneous. Uh, it's turn-based. Basically you go around the table and everyone drafts a card not from a pack of cards that you have in your hand but there's um decks of cards in between each player isn't there so in the three-player game we played there's a deck in between each player sitting around a table if you can so you imagine share a deck with way. each of your neighbors basically yeah and then there's an additional deck which holds like quite a bit of cards i think it's face the, down crucially <laughs> right right the cards the decks in between the players are face up but they only contain 20 cards each i believe uh, uh, yeah so because these cards these decks are face up when you draft a card from the top of one of those decks and you can only choose from one of those three options the deck on your left the deck on your right or the deck in the middle the ones between the players reveal the the card below it so that varies up the options making your choices quite a lot simpler and that's really the name of the game is this is simple. This is different in a bunch of different ways. The real bulk of the game in scoring points, a lot of it is in the wonder stages. Like the original game, you're given a, a very unique looking wonder board, which is physically designed to look like a wonder, be it a, a pyramid or a colossus or something like that. And there's a condition to unlocking each of the stages. So a wonder might have four or five or six stages to it. And they might have these funky symbols that say two equal or three unequal. So that means you need to present two uh, of the given resources that are exactly the same, like two bricks or three resources that are totally different, like a brick, a glass and a coin or something like that. Noting that a coin is a wild resource which makes me think why doesn't everyone always draft the coin <laughs> unlike seven wonders base game or duel resources that you spend to build a wonder stage are actually gone they're spent which was really interesting but also kept it very simple and very sort of speedy you sort of always know what the level of investment is and uh, I'll let you talk a little bit about um, military because that's a bit different too, right? Yeah. So some of some of the, some of the cards will have a military symbol uh, that will give you a a a point in military, and some of those will additionally have a horn that flips one of three uh, military tokens. And once all three of those military tokens have been flipped, you compare the points with your neighbors. So that's, that's going back to the, the original Seven Wonders style. You compare your military strength with your two neighbors. Who have, for each one, each, for each of your neighbors that you have more military points in, you get three victory points. Pretty. That's probably the closest similarity to the original game here, I think. The cool aspect that's different is that, unlike Seven Wonders, there are no ages. As in, you just play from round to, to turn, to turn, to turn, to turn, until one player has completed their wonders. So 
you could potentially have, you know, five or six wars, so to speak. You can have five or six, seven different conflicts. So warfare can come up quite a bit more. And I think those military tokens, the number of horns that you need is based on the number of players. So the military power you gain from the cards that you draft is persistent, but the military power that you gain from cards that actually trigger the conflicts, the ones that have the horns with them are spent. So some players will have constantly a strong military, but some players you might, you'll find that some of their military power is exhausted each time a conflict happens. So I feel like that it gives a nice sense of rhythm to the game. It gives a nice twist to the military. And uh, especially if your wonder maybe even gives you military additional military power. And science is a bit different too, isn't it? Yeah, well, it's basically you got, you got your three three science symbols going back to the original. Uh, if you pick, if you get two of the same symbol or one of all the three different symbols, then you get to pick a favor token similar to to someone wonders jewel. Uh, one of these these favor tokens will give you a sort of permanent bonus from that point on. That might be points uh, for a particular token, or it might be you get to play an extra card when you take a when you take wood for example uh so those those are one of the uh, one way to add um a sort of engine building element to the game but it's very light i thought that the the way that science was executed in in architects was very smart gaining those science tokens doesn't inherently score you any points it is just giving you a new ability which i thought was an interesting trade-off like in such a light game, it, it's cool to sort of think to yourself, how much, you know, engine building do I need? Yeah, but the game is so short that I didn't really feel like it added, added much. Like, it, it's, it's such a, a race to, to get to the end that taking, like, three actions out of you to, to get a token that may or may not give you anything. <laughs> like, I, I didn't find that particularly useful, that the game is so short that there's not really a benefit to taking the time to build an engine, if you know what I mean. It's better that it was race. Uh, I mean, finish. I liked it as a secondary like a fallback if you see a specific icon repeated on the table state it's tempting to go for it right because you could try and go for that token that gives you 12 points if you collect both matching types of that token so it's it's a it's a trade-off it's a risk and you know some some players just like to try and shoot the moon yeah, I I, I just I, I I was pretty down on this game, at least in, in terms of playing on board game arena. I didn't find particularly find any of those choices very interesting. Yeah, I think that people that are expecting some sort of deep experience will be very disappointed in this game. It's not that at all. I thought it was pretty refreshingly pleasant compared to some of those frustrating experiences I had with Duel. I mean, this is not a game I'm going to play on a regular basis, <laughs> but it's easily something I could see playing with my kids. Oh yeah, uh, it just plays. It's it's lovely to look at. Uh, it has some nice tactile aspects with those physically shaped wonder boards. So easy to teach. I mean, I wouldn't. I don't know if you could call it a gateway game, but it's. I feel like it's gateway adjacent. Oh uh, yeah, it's, it's quite. It feels very accessible. Uh, it, it's very easy to set. Like the set, apparently playing physically, it's super easy to set up. It's set up in such a way that uh, there's none of the, the the fiddliness from the the previous two games. So it, you you everyone has their own little faction board. You set that up and you, you put your deck down next to you. You're ready to go. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like this might play better in person um i know you said you said it was uh feels like a, a sort of beer and pretzels game so as a, a light social game i think it might might feel but playing online it just felt pretty soulless to me <laughs> the biggest um downside i have to this game is that it has a like very low variability every game or the, same, largely. the the decision space is so small right because you only ever have those three piles to choose from and you, you are going to have a lot of um, luck of the draw. But if you use it as just as a, an activity to play while you're <laughs> drinking those beers or wine, <laughs> shooting the breeze with your pals, I think it could be quite enjoyable. Um, for a totally different audience, I would recommend this. If you want a super light game just to introduce, you know, maybe non-gamers or younger people into this sort of drafting style experience. Yeah, I know some other friends um, have liked it. I, um, 
Ilya and Tyler from Covray, who we had on the podcast last episode, they are fans of this, I know, uh, and they had some good experiences teaching it to to relatively new gamers. So I think it's it's a nice, accessible little experience in that sense. Yeah, check it out if you if that sounds interesting to you. What do you think, Daniel? Should we wrap up the episode? I think so. Let's wrap this up. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to announce the next game we'll be covering? Yeah. So, of course, we're getting back to the digital side of things with our next video game. And we're going to be taking a look at our own backyard, a game set in Vancouver. But uh, not not quite the Vancouver we know. That is Backbone. It's a 2D detective game but you play as a raccoon so it's all a uh, very very noir i feel like it's a pixelated 2d side scroller detective mystery noir with everyone's animals but uh some some fun little i've seen of it so far some fun representations of vancouver some fun puns on local establishments so looking forward to checking that out it's, it's a very atmospheric game. It looks fantastic to to just behold. Go check out some of the artwork or the or the box art. It's on Xbox Game Pass, of course. But uh, it's a nice indie game that's worth checking out. And uh, I'm sure we'll have a lot to cover when we do our next episode. Yeah. So yeah, if you want to play along, as I said, it's on Game Pass. So um, we'd we'd love to hear your thoughts. If, I, mean, I think we've done a bad job of. of suggesting that people send in any questions or comments on the game. Like we'd love, we'd love for people to be playing along and, and hear your thoughts. Uh, and you can either contact us on, on Twitter. We're fairly active or our email is omnigamersclub at gmail.com. I think. <laughs> yeah, um, that's right. Yep. 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 Got it. Cool. And yeah. So, so contact us there if you have any, have any thoughts on the game. Yeah, definitely oh, check this, this one out. This game or the next one, that is. <laughs> right. It's not very long, so you can you can beat it in a couple sessions, I would think. Well, I, I don't really have much to plug otherwise. Uh, I'm, I'm a couple of, of loose plans for my board game feast content. I did, I did a fun uh, gingerbread stagecoach for Merchants of the Dark Road over the holidays, uh, but my, my game is, is somewhat delayed coming over the, uh, the dark rainy mountains of, of Cascadia so uh, still waiting on that game to arrive so I, I couldn't help but, but eat the gingerbread before it arrived <laughs> you always have some tasty creations uh, up on uh, up on the Twitter there um, for me I'll just tease at I, I probably shouldn't cover exactly what podcast it is but I've been invited to come on a podcast as a guest so I'll announce more details about that soon after the episode records uh, next week oh fun before they're hearing that uh everyone have a safe and healthy 2022 january and february coming up yes thanks for listening everyone and keep on playing those games play 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 enjoy games yeah games are good <laughs> goodbye bye Sorry, my kitten is <laughs> <You're> just, kidding. <laughs> my darn kitten is meowing at me, I'm kicking her. Just kidding. <laughs>